0: Welcome to the Jewish Diasporist, a podcast exploring the political, social, and cultural implications of life in diaspora. We are your hosts, Ben Yanowitz
1: and Zach Smarin. Today, the Yanowitz twins continue the conversation with Habib we had in episode 17.
0: Because events in Israel-Palestine have been evolving so quickly, we never published the second part of our earlier conversation from October. That said, the ongoing and escalating violence in Gaza and other parts of Palestine require serious attention and practical solidarity, especially from those of us engaged in Jewish communities. This cannot be allowed to happen in our names.
1: Our thoughts are now with the approximately 1.4 million people sheltering in Rafah, huddled together in inhuman and catastrophic conditions, under fire, and with nowhere to go. You are not forgotten. Continual displacement is ethnic cleansing. Release the hostages. Cease fire now.
0: Like many of our previous interviews, we do not fully agree with everything our guests have stated. Yet, we are committed to our belief that respectful dialogue can help chart a way toward a better future. That said, we believe that effective struggle against all forms of oppression can only be done across the national bounds that prevent us from recognizing one another's common humanity. Thank you so much to our new patrons. Your contributions are really crucial to allowing us to continue producing this podcast and organizing to develop a thriving Jewish left media ecosystem. If you aren't yet a supporter, we truly appreciate every single donation, especially in this first year of our work. Thank you so much, and we hope you enjoy the conversation.
2: We're all free. You are not my enemy. In our pain and in our grief, border walls won't protect me. We will cross the sea with all of us, or none. We
0: well, Habib it's really wonderful to sit down with you again for another part of this long conversation we've had. One of the many parts, not all of them, we've actually published. We're thinking about publishing some of the conversations that we've had earlier, and being very clear about like, hey, this was recorded in early November, but. It is now late January. Um, Things have changed, but also stayed the same. Yes. But in our last interview, you did mention that you consider yourself to be part of the
3: Palestinian diaspora.
0: What does that mean to you?
3: Unfortunately, (laughs) now these days, it means a lot of sadness and a lot of despair and a sense of Suffocation and desperation. It means waking up every day, watching Avenues Avenue. It means like getting your heart beating because of a stupid court case. It means crying every day. That's what it means. Because as much as people would try to separate and say, "Oh, you're Israeli Arab," or Palestinians don't exist. There's no P in Arabic or whatever the fuck. These are my people in every sense. But like, you see, it's like it's it, These are faces that I see everywhere. It's like you know them without even knowing them. And now that's what it means. It also means thinking about, are we doing enough? Well, if you think it's a diaspora, then that means we're all united. How would you feel if one fifth of your group was just sitting there? Not all of it, but most of it is just doing nothing while watching you die on their phones. And I'm putting this in quotes because it is not a normal situation. Like, is a Yemeni more responsible for helping Palestinians in Gaza than I am? No, it's not his problem at the end of the day. Well, I think it's all of our problems for humanity, but like, let's be real, there's no question that I am more affected because this is personal. It's been scary, and today that's the only meaning of diaspora that I think about. But for the future, at some point, I'm hoping that as a diaspora, we start to lobby for our cause, and actually, and I'm here looking at the Irish example mainly, because we know how powerful the Irish diaspora is, or was, in helping get a free Ireland. And I'm hoping we can learn from their example, because we share a lot, unfortunately. That's the situation these days.
0: Yeah, you say diaspora, in a sense, means unity across geographic dispersion. Yes. I think that's a really important way to understand diasporism, because we've, in our conversations, talked a lot about a diasporism that is fully centered in the places we live. Mm -hmm. And that is something that I think we as Jews have a lot of privilege because we have freedom of movement historically, but a lot of us Ashkenazi Jews in the US who mostly have ancestors who came to the United States between the 1880s and the 1920s, we were lucky in that there weren't these really punitive border regimes that prevent immigration. But the modern border regimes were largely established to prevent Jews from immigrating. Now, when you look at Palestine in particular, Palestinians don't have right to return. Yes. Unless you are one of the lucky few, like yourself, who have Israeli citizenship and can live in the 48 borders, True. most Palestinians don't have that right and are expressly denied it. So I think it's very important to think about what is the goal of a Palestinian diasporism? It's very concretely a free Palestine. Yeah. But... Is that largely about freedom of movement and like reparations? What does that look like to you? Like what is the goal of a Palestinian diaspora politics?
3: Yeah, so today Palestinians are split into different areas and there's unfortunately a hierarchy of suffering. I think the ones who are least discriminated against or face the least amount of discrimination would be the ones who live... In countries that they have citizenship, you know, maybe somebody in the U.S. or Canada.
0: Or even Chile. There's a large Palestinian community in Chile. You
3: know what? Yeah, actually Latin America more. Because in the U.S., if you support BDS, you can't get hired as a teacher or whatever. Because, of course, right, freedom of speech, unless it's about the state of Israel. But then I think we would have my group. So this is Palestinians who have Israeli citizenship because we still face significant challenges from the state, whether it is in airports, or whether it is with interactions with police, or there's when we are arrested, but it has to pretend that we have certain rights because we still have that stupid ID. However, I see, and this has been spoken about by a lot of people who care about the issue of constitutional rights, there has been a downgrading of the rights that we have. So this citizenship is very fluid, or not in the good context or in a really bad context. Depending on the geopolitical situation or in, on the mood or on the political situation, you can be downgraded. After that, we have East Jerusalem, about 360,000 people who have some sort of a residency, but not really, and they face a lot of discrimination. Then we have the West Bank, have to deal with settlements, and then we have Gaza. And then, this is a very significant point. There's also millions in Jordan, in Lebanon, in Syria. They don't have citizenship in those countries for a reason. They want to go back home, right? And they are refugees that have been there for over 75 years. And they are living in horrible conditions. So for Palestinians, the issue of diaspora is the idea that they want the right of return. That is the main thing. Is everybody going to go back? Obviously not, right? Some people have built their lives Abroad, specifically abroad, people, let's say, in Jordan, in Syria and Lebanon living in refugee camps, like really, really, really poor conditions. It's going to be tough for them. But if you don't have the right of return, what does that mean? It means that Palestinians abroad are going to still face the horrible conditions they have. But they say, well, let them integrate in those countries. What if they don't? What if you want to go back to your ancestors' homeland? You know, that's the place you deserve to be there. But then also that means that we still are okay with what is happening in Gaza. Even before October 7th, this was a 2.3 billion people under a siege that's gone for 16 years. And then what it means about the West Bank, it means, oh, we'll just continue building separation walls, building settlements, taking lands and pillaging and burning and killing cattle. And like at some point, it's going to get to that boiling point. The problem here is that it doesn't end so I think the mission of the diaspora is to end it. And when I mean end it, to end the Zionist project, have a right of return. And, you know, I'm hoping that I'm going to see that within my days on this earth. I think I will. I have faith I will. But it's going to be difficult. But as a diaspora, there's a lot of them that are in privileged situations. And I think if we coalesce and focus on a very, very singular, common goal, not to care about secularism or religion or anything else. No, after you have the right of return, then you become a group that has a lot of disagreements, you know, on LGBT issues, on women's rights, whatever. And we can solve them and we can talk about them. We can try to work it out. But up until then, we should have one main issue that is our focus because none of us are going to be free until all of us are.
0: We have a lot of Jewish listeners who might hear you want to end the Zionist project and not have a lot of clarity about what that means. Could you just say a little bit about what that means in regard to the potentials for coexistence beyond Zionism and like a settler colonized relationship?
4: And Habib, you mentioned that Palestinians don't have the right of return, but when you look at the state of Israel, Jews across the world do have the right for return. And so when you talk about the end of the Zionist project, do you imply that Jews shouldn't have the right to return there or should there be a more pluralistic system that allows people, you know, all over the world the right
3: to move, or how do you see that intersecting? For me, it's very simple. So your ancestors are from there. You can't go. But if somebody just converts to Judaism and who has no connection whatsoever, like there's a, the case they were speaking about, an indigenous Mayan, the poor guy. He converted. He came to Israel. They put him in a combat unit, and now he died in Gaza. He was an indigenous Mayan from the Maya region in the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico, if I'm not mistaken. And so obviously, people who have ancestral connections to this land they should have the right return if they want to come back they should number two it has to be reparations and number three to end this hierarchy you have an Ashkenazi Jew and then you have the Mizrahi Jews and then you have the Ethiopian Jews and then immigrants or refugees from other countries who are not Jewish but they are not Palestinian and then you have the different groups of Palestinians all the way in that that all has to end no if you are a Jewish person or any person and you want to immigrate to this state in historic Palestine and you do it like a normal person would do, whether you come as a refugee or you come as like an immigrant, that should be fine. And this is one of the big issues about the Aliyot, the Jewish migrations that came before. In the beginning, it was just normal. You have a Jewish neighborhood and it really was not that big of a deal. But then the minute that immigration becomes militant, and this is the tower and the wall, right? No normal immigrant, like imagine if a Mexican shows up in the U.S goes to a hill on top of a small U.S. town and starts building a wall and a tower. Like, what do you expect is going to happen? That is not how you immigrate. No immigrants do that. That was not a normal thing of, oh, we are refugees, we went run. we have a safe refuge. Because the Muslim world was a safe refuge for you, especially around the Holocaust. And instead, we have this hostility, the idea that God missed out upon us this, this land, and no, we have the right. Not really. So any person can immigrate to Palestine as long as he does it, either as a refugee or as an immigrant. we would welcome them with open arms. But if you come and you want to steal other people's land and use force, then obviously you're going to be opposed. So would you say that your
0: anti-Zionism is intrinsically part of like a broader politics of internationalist transformation and the restoration of the free right to migrate and live where you would like to
3: live? 100%. Because that would be very hypocritical, right? The idea that I want our refugees to have the right for return, but then I'm going to deny it to anybody else. That is not what it is about. The issue is that it has to be peaceful. And the idea that this person is running away either from danger or just they want to improve their life or change it. Obviously, they would be more than welcome in my world.
0: No, I totally agree. I think it's really important to have that part of a broader vision of the world to come, the world we'd like to help build, whether it's from Jewish perspectives where we know immigration and diaspora, the idea of being able to live Jewish lives where we live. like That's something that's so intrinsically part of Jewish history and the present reality of what it means to be Jewish in diaspora. And it's often counterposed to this nationalistic vision of, oh, we have to be isolated by ourselves on our own land and have walls to protect us and guns and an army and otherwise we'll never be safe. Of course, that's just not true. Before we started recording, Zach made the point that he lives in the UK and unlike Jews living in Palestine, Jews in the UK are not under threat in the same way. And that actually diaspora is a safer place for most Jews because we aren't actively colonizing other people and getting the anti colonial violence that comes all the time. Like, even early Zionists recognized that no people have ever been colonized without resisting. Yes. And like, we can't just look at October 7th and say, oh, that's a manifestation of anti Semitism. And we have to be looking at it as a product of the colonization of Palestine. And you really can't separate that. And a lot of people these days are trying to say that like, oh, October 7th is when the clock starts. That's not how it works. We know that's not true as historians, as people with basic common sense. We know that history is always moving and you can't look at what's going on in Palestine today without looking at 48 and even going back to the early 1920s when Zionism proclaimed itself to be exclusively for Jews and not for Jewish-Palestinian coexistence and collaboration which is really tragic because there were some early Zionists that were for refounding Zionism on the basis of real substantive Jewish Arab cooperation. Those people, unfortunately, fate. Do
3: you have any thoughts on any of that? Yeah, my thoughts would be that, could you have imagined if a Jewish diaspora looked at and said, okay, Europe is disgusting. Europe is anti-Semitic. Europe has blood libel. But there are many places around the world where Jewish communities have prospered immensely and reaching... The best layers of society, whether it is in Egypt, or it is in North Africa, in other regions in the Maghreb, whether it is in Iraq, whether it is in Yemen. Talk about Yemen today. You know, Yemeni Jews, I think they were actually like Arab tribes that converted to Judaism a long, long time ago. They have their own unique cuisine and food and they lived there for close to a thousand years. Did we need this Zionist project that actually contributed to the massive slaughter and death of Jews? There's actually sending Jewish youth that are like 19 years old to go and die while also bombing and killing children and women. Like, what's the point of all of this? So let's assume Netanyahu's vision happens, and you have a Jewish state that is purely for the Jews, and it's 100% under Israeli control from the west of the Jordan. This is what he declares. So when he says, from the river to the sea, that's fine. You have colonialism, or like Zionism, or an ethno state, or occupation from the river to the sea, that's fine. But if you say Palestinian state that is free from the river to the sea, then that is anti-Semitic, right? But okay, anyway, but if we have his vision, you're going to have countries around you that are completely different, and have populations of people that have been destroyed by this entity that's in the middle. What do you think are they going to do to it? They want to send people in Gaza to Egypt. Are you thinking they're not going to fire on you rockets from Sinai? And it's like, okay, we're going to have to conquer Sinai. And now they're talking about they want to conquer Lebanon. Well, okay, you conquered South Lebanon. What are you going to do next? It never ends because you're never going to be safe because the only way you feel safe is to keep bombing those people who might pose a risk to you. You're never going to be safe. This country is just built on war from the day it's been birthed on this earth. It's never going to be safe. Now it's paranoid about the Hezbollah doing it on October 7th from the north. They want to attack Lebanon again. Then it's going to be the West Bank, and then it's going to be Sinai, and then it's going to be in East Jerusalem. It's always going to be somebody. It's never going to be safe because there is a core argument that's never been solved. What about the victims of what we are doing? What should they do? They can go fuck themselves. They're not going to listen. So what are we going to do? Imagine if instead Jewish communities went to countries that are welcoming them, where Jewish communities have lived in a relative safety and prosperity. You know, of course, there's discrimination, the jizya, and sometimes there were violence. But compared to Europe, it's nothing. And built an actual multicultural, multi-ethnic societies. You had communities that were writing Hebrew in Arabic. This is the sophisticated level that we are talking about, entrenched from the Maghreb all the way to India. We, either as Palestinians or as Arabs or as Muslims, could have been such a welcoming body to this Jewish diaspora. But no, it always had to be an ethnostate that has a certain supremacy that is going to be destined to fail. And October 7th is, I think, Ilan Papi thinks that, well, is like the end of the beginning
1: and the beginning of the end. But that is something to be seen. Hey, everyone, this is Zach, just popping into this conversation. Invited, uninvited, who knows? I just wanted to add my three cents. This is a contentious point. And the creation of modern Zionism must be understood within its historical context. You know, a world at the peak of European colonialism, nationalism. In the early 1900s, Europe and Euro-American settler societies were rapidly closing their borders to unwanted immigrants. Could the Muslim world have been an exception? I mean, it's kind of impossible to know. The Ottoman Empire was to some extent, but following World War One, anti-immigrant European hegemony really like reached its apex in the United States and immigration controls over there. And ultimately, a world that allows for diasporic self-determination to thrive is likely only possible with the creation of a, of a socialist world. And even then, there's... A lot of other struggles that would have to take place.
4: So I think we can all agree that the Zionist project has been an act of violence towards Palestinians in Palestine and has also shaped Judaism in a way that's made it very nationalistic, has made it apparently anti-Semitic to advocate for Palestinian freedom, even though there is no logical reason that to advocate for Palestinian freedom is a threat to Jewish safety, unless we're assuming that Jews can't be safe in the world, but also in Israel or Palestine without the elimination of Palestinian life. Ben and myself are both from the United States, a country that's had a long history of settler colonialism and genocidal violence. And within this space, as Jews, you know, trying to feel at home in Los Angeles, in California, or wherever we find ourselves that isn't Israel, we are a minority. We're part of a larger community that isn't predominantly Jewish, though we might also have Jewish communities. And we have to find spaces of solidarity. And this is where I want to return to diasporism as a concept, because Jews living in diaspora and Palestinians living in diaspora can find common cause, at least on the left right now, because we all recognize the amount of violence as not just a violation of international law, but also a violation of Jewish law. My question for you is how can common diasporous politics be used as a place to foster cross-cultural solidarity? And in your own life, how have you found cross-cultural solidarity with Jews, with other people? You mentioned Ireland and the Irish diaspora. What do you see the role of politics in diaspora in relationship to a common project
3: of human liberation? So I just want to make one note before I answer your question, because your point was really great. How to make Jews safe was through this idea of having a Jewish state in the middle of the Middle East. But I find it amazing that today, there are 100 Jewish lives in the Gaza Strip, and 60% of Israeli Jews say that they were not willing to release them in exchange for a ceasefire. 1,200 people died on October 7, according to the Israeli state, who are civilians. Out of those 1,200, we now know, there's a significant portion that have been killed by the Israeli army and the Israeli police using the Hannibal Directive, firing at people without knowing who they are, using tanks to fire at houses filled with hostages. Now, every single day, we found more and more people who were Israeli civilians were killed by Israeli forces. So how is this? Keep it just And also, if you keep telling people that if you criticize Israel, then you're anti-Semitic and then the world sees what Israel is doing in Gaza, and it's genocide, then people are going to believe you, and they're going to start, okay, so if I am mad at Israel, what am I going to do? Am I going to go and attack a U.S. embassy, which is funding Israel? No. It's going to be so easy to just go and attack a synagogue or a Jewish school, because you told them that Israel equals Judaism. This is what you told them, because if I attack Israel, I'm attacking Judaism. So this is what kills me, that it has proven the most dangerous thing to the Jews of the world is the creation of the state of Israel. But put that on the side. As for your question, I have to say, in diaspora, it's been amazing. And your brother is a very great example of these people that I have met when I was abroad in spaces that are relatively neutral. The UK is not neutral, I would say. And what do I mean by relatively neutral? I mean it's not Israel. Because my experience in Israel has been deemed to fail. I have been, this is my 11th year, of an actual mission of trying to talk sense into people. And there are people that I have known for years. And I have shared multiple experiences. And I have tried so many things. And we converse. And they know a lot of my deepest secrets and fears. And we share the life experience. You know, we call it in Arabic, (laughs) bread and salt. Like we actually lived life together. But then the minute something like this happened, that is all gone. That is all gone. So could you do it in diaspora? Yes. I believe, you know, Jewish Voice for Peace and not in our name. Like these groups are just beautiful, beautiful and and very heartening. And I think they actually understand the meaning that never again. And they're very vital because let's be honest, you have a shield. We don't have a shield. We don't. Here, if there is any British Jews who are anti-Zionist, the very few of them, or not even anti-Zionists, those who just want the most basic human decency. I don't know if you've heard this, but not too long ago, a Jewish-Israeli teacher did the most horrendous of crimes and tried to humanize Palestinians by sharing pictures of Palestinians and showing it on Facebook, if I'm not mistaken, and he was detained. Now, this is an Ashkenazi Jewish man who has an Israeli citizenship, who have lived in Israel, I think, his whole life. And even his... Like, they got him out and his students started booing him and telling him he's a son of a bitch because his brother is fighting in Gaza for his freedom of speech. 60% of Israeli Jews are against a hostage exchange if it means a ceasefire. But then somehow... 57% 57% of them are in favor of the parents protesting for the government to bring back their children. You oppose the only way to do it, but you would allow them to complain about it. This is the illogical meaning. Honestly, I have been on this mission for over 11 years. I have lost almost everybody. I have no Israeli Jewish friends who are not anti-Zionist, so this is very critical. Left, there's only one or two, and the way that those relationships are left is basically by ignoring each other for this duration because it's been horrendous. In the diaspora, it's crucial. Here, it's going to be difficult in the diaspora as well, but it's crucial. And I think a lot of people may change their minds. Here, I think it's futile. I think at this point, it's counterproductive. We don't have kumbaya. We have a supremacist group. And I mean that in every sense of the way. The way that they can be angry, the way that they can retaliate. If I do the same things, and now even the Ashkenazi Jewish man is being targeted for that, what should a Palestinian do? So... Unfortunately, it's been unsuccessful because that's not how you solve a colonial conflict. You don't go to your colonial overlord and you beg him to stop. Never happens. Not through the Knesset, not through voting. The people we voted in, Bansur Abbas, at the beginning of the war, he said Hamas should give up their arms. This is the creation of this movement. You can never appease them. Appeasement never works. This is very unfortunate. I would have loved for it to work. And now it's the nail in the coffin. In my opinion. But unfortunately, and I know that this is very disheartening for a lot of people, but from starting university in the Technion, I have tried to build these relationships and I've seen them crumble so fast the minute anything happens. And they also never give you the dignity and the respect that you deserve. I have friends who the minute I posted something that is factual of an Israeli war crime in Gaza, instead of even telling me I disagree with you or something or trying to have a conversation, just immediately, you know, you're a terrorist supporter. It's not happening. I'm sorry, but this is not a rosy world at all, not even a little bit. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this a
0: lot between you and I, Habib, and I totally hear what you're saying and how difficult it is to build real solidarity, even just through relationships. You could have years and become really good friends, and then the moment you have a crisis like this, all that relationship goes out the window and all of a sudden they see you for nothing more than your ethnic identity, which is really disgusting. And it really shows just how superficial the world of hatred and tribalism really is, because it doesn't matter how you know the person for who they are, it's just about which side are you on in this moment. It's really, really, really sad to see. I do think there is truth to the fact that diaspora is a place where we can build these relationships. Like, if our Jewish identity is not grounded in a national identity, then we don't necessarily see our safety bound up with the safety of the state. And I think a lot of Israeli Jews have a hard time having a Jewish identity that isn't grounded in that national sense of belonging, which I think does speak to the importance of a diasporist Jewish identity, but it also speaks to the difficulty of trying to foster that in Palestine Israel. You brought up Jewish Voice for Peace and Not In Our Name. Not In Our Name is not a group, but it's a slogan that many Jewish groups, whether it's If Not Now, or there's a lot of local groups that have been taking this slogan as a way to say this genocide that's happening against Palestinians in Gaza is not in our name. But at the same time, we're still a minority in our own community. I think it's important to not romanticize diaspora. Like I'm currently working at a reform synagogue, which is part of the Union of Reform Judaism, which is the largest denomination or Jewish group in the United States. And just yesterday, we're recording this on January. January 27th, the URJ put out a statement against the ICJ ruling, the International Court of Justice ruling that said that Israel's war against Hamas is plausibly genocide. I'll read this statement they put out yesterday, or at least the first part of it, because I think it really says just how their head is in the sand and they're just ignoring things to choose to fully embrace the Zionist narrative without actually critically thinking about it or how we should really reckon with this as Jews and diaspora that have our own interests and our own homelands even. And the URJ said that the ICJ's decision today, finding that Israel's war against Hamas is plausibly genocide, is gravely disappointing the ICJ has done a disservice to those around the world who are truly victims of genocidal regimes, acting with intent to destroy, in whole or in part, a national, ethnic, racial, or religious group as defined under international law. And then it goes on to say, the war Israel is currently engaged in is against Hamas, not the Palestinian people. And I saw this actually from a grassroots movement largely been organized over social media called URJ Ceasefire Now. And they pointed out this disappointing and upsetting statement from the URJ that's saying that, that what Israel is doing is not intending to destroy Palestinian life. It's a lie, a, a fully lie. Like you cannot see what's happening in Gaza and listen to the genocidal rhetoric of Israeli politicians and say that they are not intending to destroy the Palestinian people, at least in part. Yeah, because they are
3: actively doing that every day. Excuse me. I'm going to respond to this ICJ thing because I've been writing about this, so I, I have a few things to say about this. Number one, this is the classic. Who's going to believe, me or your fucking lying eyes? So yesterday, again, you remember the motherfucker Eliyahu, you know, the minister of Jewish heritage, Mikhail Eliyahu? They asked him about the nuclear bomb on Gaza. He said, yeah, we should do it again. Yesterday. This is after they went to the ICJ and said, the attorney general is threatening them to shut the fuck up because you're making us look bad, you motherfucking idiots. And here's the thing, the ICJ ruling. This is why I hate these neoliberal institutions, because they are so good at giving you like this tiny glimpse of hope that maybe now when we have the most well-documented genocide in the history of the world, right? It's streamed on your fucking phones. And they said, we took the provisional measures that South Africa gave us and we used a clause 41 and we changed it to whatever we want. And they said, we asked the Israeli military to stop all of its acts that are genocidal. So somehow they managed to give something that everybody can understand in their own way. So if you're pro-Palestinian and you want to hold for hope, it's like, oh, They said they might be genocide, maybe it's possible. But if you're on the Israeli government side, it's like, oh, so we should stop doing genocide. But we're not doing it, so we can continue doing business as usual. This is another Saturday. Bomb, bomb, bomb. They're doing it. And here's the thing. On the same day, this is the third day that Israeli protesters and i put this in quotation so if you protest against the war they're gonna fuck you up so fast it's not even funny but if you protest to stop the few like the 100 to 200 trucks of aid a day which is less than one on 15 the required amount according to them to stop the starvation so they're like ah oh, look at how magnanimous am i i'm giving them 100 trucks of aid a day and now I bring stupid motherfuckers who your loves, and I send them, and I block the crossing, and now no trucks are going in. You know what else I'm going to do as the liberal Western Hemisphere, and it's not just enough to give weapons, and fighter jets, and Apache helicopters, and tank shells, and vetoes in the Security Council, and voting against in the General Assembly, and delaying the decision of the ICJ, and then watering down the decision of the ICJ, today they have all of a sudden, they're suspending funding to the UNRWA, which has 1.4 million Palestinians in its shelters. in the Gaza Strip because they suspect 12 of its employees were involved on in the attacks on October 7th. They lost a hundred and somewhat employees in this war. More UN workers have died in this conflict. It's not even a war, in this genocide, than in any other conflict in the world since the inception of the United Nations. But somehow they chose this moment. So they go to, oh my God, we're giving them so much aid. I'm going to block the aid oh my God, look at how how humanitarian we are. I'm going to block funding the only functioning organization on the ground. And now the Israeli foreign minister is like, ah, we should investigate this. Really, motherfucker? Really? You want to investigate that? It is amazing how they managed to like convince everybody that they're doing something, but at the same time do nothing. And yeah, sure, maybe in four years, they'll say, oh, well, you know, it was genocide, whatever. But like, what do we want now? Save these two million people who are dying. This is the ICJ. One last word, Aharon Barak. And this is actually so funny. I had a fight with my cousin when the judicial reforms were happening in Israel. And he was talking about Barak and he's the liberal justice on the Israeli Supreme Court who made it so liberal and gave it like all these tools to fight. And I told him this is so stupid. This is the dumbest fucking shit on the planet. This Supreme Court has been approving so many things that are against international law and destroying homes of so-called parents of terrorists and allowing the seizure of lands and homes. And oh yeah, you may build this separation wall, but can you please move it like a few centimeters to the left? Like, what is this? It's a Zionist institution through and through. But Ahram Barak, it's not enough that he's basically helped sugarcoat this idea that Israel is a democracy. He's a survivor of the Holocaust. He's 89. So with his last years on earth, He went to The Hague and what he did is he managed to, behind the scenes, water down enough the ICJ provisional measures that is now a victory for the Israelis. I even want to quote you what he said. This is his statement after the decision. He said on his Holocaust experience, if we would have called for a ceasefire, Israel would have been defenseless. So this guy who lived through the Holocaust is using his last days to defend a different Holocaust, a different genocide of different people. Does that make any sense? Like, how the fuck is this happened? It is insane again, this is the limit of these institutions. The UN is feckless, the ICJ is feckless, and now there's no more aid going in, and they're fucking defunding the UNRWA. And you know what? You may as well. Why not throw a nuke? Just kill them. Kill everybody. Because, like, I've been so hurting. It's just sometimes there's a limit. Like, you want to give up. And if I may, before we continue, I have specifically saved this for this occasion. Because when I say about suffering, people think you're exaggerating a little bit, and that is true. But then there's also an insane level of suffering that is happening, and I wanted to share A paragraph that Ma'mar, a guy from Gaza, he wrote this on January 7th, 2024. And this is in Arabic, and I'm reading the translation. My family, all of them, have been martyred. I am now without parents, siblings, or uncles. I have no family, no home, no work. All my family lived, and I'm the one who died. They are all doing fine together in a mass grave, while I am alone above the ground. So on the day the ICJ said that there may be plausible, plausible, that Israel is creating conditions that prevent life in Gaza. See Israel using these beautiful tactics of sending these protesters to block aid, as they said, from the enemy. And we see Western countries from the US, UK, Finland, one of the happiest countries in the world. You might as well involve yourself in a genocide while you're at it, right? Cutting aid for the UNRWA for this alleged involvement of 12 employees. They already killed over 100, but 12 employees we claim were involved on October 7th. So, for the Union of Reform Jews, for any union of synagogues, if you still oppose a ceasefire, I want you to know, you are complicit. The blood of these people is on your hands, and I hope they haunt you until the rest of your days.
0: I think what you're saying has a lot of truth in it, and at the same time, a lot of Jews hearing what you're saying will say that that sounds like victim blaming. And at the same time, these institutions are complicit. I mean, I'm working in a synagogue that on the regular is having events like they were just sent out an email the other day that said, moral courage pro-Israel advocacy in your learning community. It's trying to argue that it takes moral courage to stand up for Israel. Why are they putting this out here rather than having like a real substantive dialogue about the actual crimes against humanity that are taking place? There's just a consensus that Jews should be supporting Israel in this moment and they're acting like this is the case when there is fierce debate going on within our community that is really difficult to be on the left of. It's very easy to be like, oh, we're supporting Israel because all the mainstream communal institutions are. And it doesn't take fucking moral courage to have that it takes moral courage to stand up against this consensus and it's really hard too because you feel pushback there are people with israeli families in our communities that are very 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 fiercely pro-israel right now and exporting this nationalistic narrative and vision into our communities And making that the common sense consensus because they're like, oh, you've never, you haven't lived there. You don't know what it's like. But it's like, well, we can still have a valid point, even if we haven't lived there. Many of us have been there and visited and seen more shit than they have in terms of how Palestinians are actually treated in this land between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea. Yeah, but
3: what do you want? This is a very important question. Do you want the safety of your families in Israel? If you don't do peace, How are you going to get that safety? This is the Israeli saying, What does not work with strength or with force works with even more force. Really? So how come after 75 years you have the day where most Jews have died since the Holocaust? How come anti-Semitism is on the rise? How come? And they're making the
0: mainstream narrative that like October 7th actually proves why we need Israel because it's just an
3: anti-Semitic crime and it's bullshit. (laughs) But you've been trying the same recipe since 1948, you motherfuckers. Okay, you bombed it. But what else? What's next? There's nothing. There's no correlation of thought. What about your families that are now hostages? Did you want to save them? They're killing them. They killed 27 already that they admit to. Jewish Israelis, they are killing them. They're bombing them. If you ask those, they got released. They say, we were afraid the bombs were hitting us on our heads. Because of course, a bomb doesn't look at your passport before it kills you. They killed their own. It's like... If you want everyone to be safe, then you should be asking not for for a ceasefire, for a permanent peace solution right now, because your families in Israel are going to be threatened, not just Palestinians. Tell them to stop. Tell them to change course. Tell them to stop doing the thing that they've been doing for 75 years. But instead, you just keep doing it. And who is on your side? Maybe you should take a minute and look who's on your side. Evangelical Christians who want you to control from the Nile to the Euphrates so they can have Armageddon. And half of you are going to go to hell and the other half is going to become Christian. This is what they want with the rapture. This is the side you want to be on? People who say, I want you dead?
0: They only support Israel because they want to send all of us there. They don't want us to be living in diaspora.
3: Yeah, yeah, but like, there's 600,000 Americans with U.S. passports in Israel, with U.S. citizenship. A lot of them are in Gaza right now, killing innocent people. Some of them are going to die, whether it is by an explosion or whether it is fighting Hamas fighters. What do you think is going to happen? If you want to save your families that are in Israel, tell them to stop ceasefire! A ceasefire is on both sides. It's not that they stop fighting and then they keep getting shot at. That's not what it means. It means stop the genocide you're doing. It is actually fucking nuts that they are sending these Jews to die as they are committing a genocide. As well as endangering every single Jewish person that lives on the face of the earth. And you know what's ironic? Let's say Columbia University, for example, you have Shai Video who has been CRYING about anti-Semitism on the campus, just fucking crying every day. Now eight Palestinian protesters, four Palestine, I'm sorry, some of them are actually Jewish, have been attacked by people who served in the Israeli army on Columbia campuses. So people who serve in a foreign army have attacked U.S. citizens on a U.S. campus and nothing has happened to them. And Shai Video is still crying about it when these Zionists attacked Jewish students in Colombia. We have a six-year-old Palestinian who's been killed. We have people who are losing their jobs left and right and being discriminated against. They are losing awards. And we have university students who have been shot in Burlington, Vermont. This is what they're doing for wearing a cafe. You're endangering everybody. If you care about Jewish safety, call for a ceasefire. Stop what you're doing. If you care about your Israeli families, Stop what you're doing. But if you want to continue and support the supremacist Jewish state, then know that you're in a league with the most anti-Semitic motherfuckers on the planet. And they want you all to go to hell. And the other half, they want you to become Christian. This is what they want. And if you're in a synagogue and you care about the Jewish religion, stop! A lot of your loved ones are going to die for it. And my loved ones are going to die for it. For what? But this is it. The Israeli state, I think, has killed so many Jewish lives. Not just on October 7th. But in general, sacrificing them in conflict while oppressing Palestinians. They even bombed the Iraqi Jewish community so they can force them to leave to Israel. This is the legacy of the Israeli state. It does not protect the Jewish people. It is the biggest risk, moral and physical harm that the Jews are facing right now. It is the most anti-Semitic thing in the world, is the Israeli Jewish state. And they are running articles in the New York Times saying, if you're against Israel, you're not Jewish. You! are not Jewish. They are taking away your whole identity just because you do not serve their colonial project. Shame on all of these people and know that if you are against a ceasefire, when you're going to bed and you're going to sleep, all of those lives that have been lost in the West Bank and in the Gaza Strip are on your hands. You are complicit in a genocide, whether you like it or not. And as survivors and descendants of survivors of the Holocaust, you should be ashamed of yourself. That's
4: it. You raised a really excellent point there about this tension that exists about what it means to be Jewish and whether or not Jews are a nation. And, you know, if you're a Jew who doesn't see themselves as essentially included within the nation of Israel, then we might as well not be Jewish at all, as some writers for the Jerusalem Post have been saying. But, you know, the common idea of what a nation even is, is like a 200, 250 year old concept. It's not that old. Judaism as a people exists way way longer and has a much deeper history than that and within zionism we can see the transformation that's been ongoing about what it means to be jewish and i want to turn this a little bit more towards your palestinian experience and what if there are any tensions does it look like to be a Palestinian diasporist or to be supporting Palestinian nationalism? And if those aren't necessarily at odds with one another, how do you maintain cross-cultural solidarity and how do you imagine we can move forward and bring about real lasting peace?
3: So I think without actually having an end to the Zionist project and having a free Palestine, whatever context it may be, so I'm telling you, if Israel did not exist, you know, maybe Jordan wouldn't exist and Syria wouldn't exist and Lebanon. We're all like very, very, very similar people. Like these borders only existed since 1917 after Sykes-Picot. Yeah, these were colonial borders. they colonial borders. I have so much in common. Like Beirut is closer to me than Jerusalem, where I live. I see Lebanon from my balcony. Unfortunately, now I see it being bombed from my balcony. But I see, <laughs> I see Beirut is really close. Damascus is also relatively close. Like we talk the same. We have shared cultural and historical bonds that go for hundreds of years back. The fact that I could go and spend the summer in Lebanon and then I can go and have a really great night in Damascus and I can visit Jalash for a nice concert and then go like, this is the dream of just being free from this shit. Enough. I wish we had normal problems. I wish I would be like worried about healthcare in my community or like fixing climate change or whatever the fuck, you know, a normal person should be caring about. But no, it's just basic survival, ending occupation, ending humiliation. And le- it doesn't end, Jordan. This is what I wanted. It never ends. If you're in the diaspora, a Palestinian diaspora, and you're actually outside of the Middle East, for you, it's like your family and your relatives and your own people being hurt. But then if you're in the refugee camps, your life is shit every day. Whenever anything happens in Syria and Lebanon, all of a sudden, all of the refugee camps, the Palestinian refugee camps, get swallowed in this mumbo-jumbo, just like what happened in Syria when ISIS attacked. By the way, another thing, Hamas-ISIS. Hamas fought ISIS in the camps in Damascus. Like, stop, stop. It's just so stupid. I hate this. I really, really do. It kills me. I wish people could be honest. And how do we go from here? Like, again, like, you know, if you're in the diaspora, you do what you can. But let's be honest. Most colonial projects did not end peacefully. It did not. And people say, well, this one is different. I don't think so. It's very similar. You talked about the American project. It's very similar. This is a bunch of white Europeans who came in with the support of a very powerful European state, and they were a religious minority, and they came in, and they started building towers and building walls and taking into Jesus' land, and whenever anybody tried to stop them, they would rebel. And they continued expanding until they reached the Asia Pacific. And after the Pacific, they went to Hawaii. And after Hawaii, they took the Philippines. And they took Cuba. And now they own the whole world because they are a world superpower. And they are never enough. And they want to control space and the moon and Mars. It never stops unless indigenous people stop it. So, unfortunately, I do not see a lot of rosy world or path ahead. I think it's going to be difficult. And I was in a discussion that Ilan Pape was in it, Professor Ilan Pape, the person who wrote the history of ethnic cleansing in Palestine. And he was saying he sees it as the end of the Zionist project. And when you have entities coming to their end, they start fighting desperately and become even more violent. Voila! That's what's happening in Gaza right now. God help us. I know you're
0: quite cynical about any real potential for jewish-palestinian solidarity in palestine israel but there have been some protests recently against the war within 48 i mean i think there's a couple of things going on in this moment i don't know if you saw but the bds official organization put out a statement a few days ago condemning and i've seen a lot of people really annoyed by that and being like this is completely counterproductive I was just wanting to hear a little bit about how you see the efforts to protest within Israeli society alongside Palestinians. And I know like there was a protest in Haifa recently, and I know you're based near there. I heard that the government tried to cancel it and then the Supreme Court actually allowed it to go forward, but on the condition that it had a max of only about 700 people in attendance, which is extremely authoritarian so i was kind of wondering what you make of current protests within legal israel as some might say i was wondering what you make of these protests and if you think they have any role to play in the
3: process towards liberating
0: palestine and ending the zionist project as we currently know it occupation and apartheid it's
3: not gonna happen i went to protests i went to the first one was on the 18th of november this was the first one approved by supreme court this is a month and a half after this genocide started they monitored with drones, they had police officers with cameras taking a picture of everybody that entered. Half of the speakers were Palestinians, the other half were Jewish, but almost everybody in attendance was an Israeli Jew. Because, rightfully so, there were so many anti-protesters that were <laughs> pro-bombing, pro-genocide, and they were scary. They were very, very scary. And the police didn't do anything when they started heckling people afterwards. Luckily, nothing escalated. But I just want to give a few examples about the state of the whole of the Israeli society on the inside. I have to be honest, like, we need to wake up and face reality. If you are living inside of Israel, for so many reasons, you are benefiting from this supremacist system and you are fully engulfed in it. And This is why. I do not think it is possible to go to people who are 100% benefiting from the system to change everything they believe in and be ready to lose so much by realizing that this conflict is useless, that Zionism is a failure, and it's risky for them, and they should just give up. This is only a one-way train. I have been extremely convinced after this conflict. So the protest in Haifa, there was some police violence as I heard. I didn't even know about it. Like I heard about it on the radio. It's silence. It was put on a Saturday afternoon. They're trying to limit even Palestinians protesting in Palestinian towns where there are no Jewish Israelis and the only people who will be interrupted are Palestinians themselves. They didn't allow it. They didn't even allow a demonstration which is under 50 people, which according to Israeli law, you do not need any permission for it. As long as you Not blocking roads, just making a demonstration. So, 50 people who are the top leaders of the community, Palestinians within Israel, I'm talking leaders of the joint committee, I'm talking about heads of parties, previous heads of certain parties, they informed the Israeli police that they're still going, even though they didn't need to, they were still arrested. You know? The Supreme Court allowed only two protests so far after 115 days with a lot of limitations. And also they allowed a very limited number of slogans. You're not allowed to have any other slogan. So they were against occupation when I was. They were against the war. They were for a ceasefire, release everybody. Those are a really great things. But a lot of them, I'm, I'm sure, pro two-state solution, and they do not address the main issue that you cannot have freedom unless you end the project as a whole and you have a full right of return for the indigenous population but it is still is a good step but again it's minute numbers and I think the polling shows it this is a lost cause with all due respect Amdin beyachad. you know I think the funding sources of it show that this is not a neutral organization this organization has supported a lot of these methods including using the Israeli Knesset and using the Israeli Supreme Court the same Supreme Court that sent its most adamant defender Ahram Barak this reformist judge to The Hague To defend a genocide and water down any provisional measures to stop it. This is who we are talking about. And I have to be honest, at some point, we need to realize that the Israeli population is just too far gone. And that is okay. There's no shame in that. But stop wasting your energy on them. They're not going to budge. They're moving right wing every single day because that's what they're going to do. You can't keep dehumanizing a population. You have to understand, Kahana who was supposed to be this outlaw and a terrorist in 1994 when I was born, 30 years today, his party, Ben Kfir, is now one of the third largest party in the Knesset. This is who we are talking about, a guy who is blocking, who is openly genocidal, saying These trucks are for the enemy, we're gonna block it. The whole entire population of Gaza is the enemy. He was against even the previous hostage exchange. 60% of Israeli Jews are against a hostage exchange if it includes a ceasefire. Let that into your heads. This is a polling that was done last week. They don't care about their own if they're willing to sacrifice. And they know it, they're not stupid. The Israeli press is telling, I know these goals, like destroying Hamas and freeing the hostages. I know that sounds very contradictory, but we need to apply military pressure. What are you people talking about? They know it. So if this population is willing to sacrifice a hundred people of their own, how many Palestinians do you think they're willing to sacrifice so they can feel safe? 30,000? 100,000? A million? 2 million? If you see these protests that are for Netanyahu is attacking by saying that the families of the hostages, when they protest, they are helping Hamas. This is the fucked up logic. They're going to kill their own. You have protesters going against the families of the hostages saying we should bomb Hezbollah because now they are afraid that Hezbollah is going to do the same. How can we feel safe from the northern border? What is this? This is an out of control population. That believes in supremacy. Over 50% of Israeli youth believes that Palestinians who live among them should not be allowed to vote. This is the new generation. This is not the old guard. This is the new guard. They are even more fascistic than their parents. Because this is the system they grew up with. Stop with it. They should be BDS'd as fuck. Sure, 100%.
4: I just want to push back a little bit on your point that there is no opportunities within the Israeli population for reconstructive change. I think part of what pulls me into this Jewish diasporas project is the recognition that if we are going to save Judaism from the damage that's been wrecked on it by Zionism, then we have to make inroads between Jewish Israelis and Jews in diaspora to find an ethical future. And without that kind of connection, you know, I I agree with you at that point. It becomes a lost cause. There's nothing we can do. But there's a strong tradition within Judaism for ethical, collective futures. And perhaps there's a a way forward that finds a
3: way to coexist once again. Jordan, let me tell you, I respectfully disagree. Because let me tell you this. You know when that happens? That happens after this project fails. Because then... You know, you're going to have a lot of Israeli Jews who are lost, who don't know what to do because they lost their Zionist identity. And I think then, yes, a a whole Jewish reconciliation process needs to start. But before that, they're not going to listen to you. They just told you you're not Jewish even if you go saying that you want a ceasefire. This is the level we are talking about. They arrested a Jewish teacher who is Israeli as well for saying the most basic shit like Palestinians are humans. Like, What the fuck? Lock him up, right? When the Algerians fought the French. They did not go to French society and let the French in France speak to the French in Algeria and try to make connections. They bombed the cafes they were sitting in. Like, I need us to stop believing this. The polling has been over and over. Like, this is a population in favor of shooting unarmed protesters if they're Palestinian, in favor of taking citizenship away from Palestinians, in favor of complete segregation. They don't want Palestinians in any of their spaces, in their workplace, in their schools, in their universities. You go to these groups and they say, oh my God, I'm going to be studying with a terrorist. How can we go back? There's a whole population now that have anger after October 7th. And what do they do? They don't use it to rebuild or do something that is useful. Some of them do, but there's a lot of them that are just taking the free time to attack Palestinians who are students in Israeli universities, to attack people who are Palestinians. Citizens working in any workplace, from hospitals to universities to like a pharmacy or whatever, they're just chasing them and they're going on their social media and trying to get them out of their jobs, pushing for their citizenships in a way. This is going in the significant wrong direction and it's not a coincidence. If you dehumanize people to enough a degree, you cannot then tell people to start treating them as humans because then... It means that they are on stolen land, that they are occupying other people, they are killing them. But if you're killing human animals and you are colonizing human animals, that's okay. It's not that big of a deal. You can even just do whatever you want. And that is exactly it. In order for that to happen, you have to start looking at the Palestinian as your equal. If you do that as a Zionist Jewish Israeli living inside of Israel, that means that you're just a complicit in genocide in occupation, in apartheid, you're on stolen land. Would you do that? Like in your life, just like in your basic life, you think people can admit guilt so easily? Or they become defensive? I'd like to push back a
0: little bit as well, just because I do think there is some important differences between the Algeria analogy and Israel-Palestine, because the Jewish diaspora does not control Israel in the way that France controlled Algeria. Beyond the law of return, which I think does have some similarities, giving Jews that sort of freedom of movement on colonized land. There is some similarity but I do think there is difference and when I was in Palestine in May I did meet some people who in episode 7 we interviewed and they were doing exactly that. They were in Palestine and had actually moved there as anti-Zionist in order to try to actually take part in the grounded struggle against Zionism. And of course, that's full of contradictions. There's a lot of difficulties in navigating what that means. And like Sam Stein, who's one of these people I'm talking about, made the point that if you are there, you are complicit. You're right. But that doesn't mean that you can't wrestle with that and try to do everything you can to push back against that complicity and to actually play a role in building the bridges of solidarity, which are important and needed. But you are right as well, which in the fact that Kahane, who was rightfully treated as an outsider and a terrorist, is now kind of lionized in Israeli society. You go to Hebron, or Kiryat Arba, the settlement adjacent to Hebron, and you have Baruch Goldstein, who shot over 150 people in Hebron in 1994. There is a memorial for him, as if he's a national hero and not a terrorist that should be condemned, and why the fuck are people memorializing him? And if the Zionist Project's goal is Jewish safety, then Zionism has failed. It's not a project that we can really salvage as a way to have Jewish safety in the world. It's something that we need to wrestle with and overcome in our own Jewish communities And alongside Palestinians, if we want to create a Jewish future in that land, because unlike Algeria, I don't think all the Israeli Jews are going to leave when Zionism ends. And a lot of Israelis who were born there and raised there, that is the only homeland they've ever known. And we need to find a way for those Israeli Jews to be part of that future that is alongside Palestinians and all the peoples who call that land their own. And I think it's very important to wrestle with Zionist narratives in order to better understand them and in order to disentangle them from Judaism. Like the word Yisrael, which means one who wrestles with God. Yisrael appears a lot in our Jewish prayers and such. You ask a kid what Yisrael means and they literally just tell you homeland or state of Israel. And like, they don't know that this is a word that has a meaning beyond The modern context of Israel. And I think it's very important for us to reassess how Judaism has become tied to Zionism and to disentangle these in order to better understand how we can build a Jewish future that does not rely on that sort of nationalism to feel secure and safe in its own
4: peoplehood.
3: Well, with all due respect, I think if you're an anti Zionist Jew and you live in the diaspora, your work should be focused on either raising awareness and supporting Palestinian voices. So Ben, I know you've been to Masafariata and stuff like that. I highly recommend that. Number two, I disagree that the Israelis are not controlled. I think Israel is 100% a client state of the United States. This whole conflict in Gaza, if the Jewish diaspora in the United States was united in its anti-Zionism and demanded that of the United States government, and the United States government did not have the influence of AIPAC and other Zionist lobbies, then Israel would have ran out of ammunition already. There would have been thousands of lives saved. They would not have dared to attack Lebanon. and Maybe this conflict would have been over a long time ago. With all due respect, The same thing was in apartheid South Africa. The UK continued supporting apartheid South Africa. If you sent somebody from the UK who's against apartheid to go to the white South Africans and convince them to give up all of their wealth and power and all of a sudden share it with the African indigenous population of the land, you think they would agree to that? Why would they agree to that? It makes fucking sense. So for you as an anti-Zionist, I would rather you work in your synagogue, in your community, in your home. Start with your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your cousin, your friends, your Town, form those connections. Go to the anti-Israeli protest. Stop the genocide. Ceasefire now. Jewish voice, please. Those things are way more valuable than trying to convince somebody you're never going to convince. Like when I was working on campaigns, they would tell you if somebody says I'm going to vote for the other candidate, you just pluck him like that and you move on, because you can spend maybe an hour arguing with this person and then you have like a one to two three five percent chance of like convincing them a little bit to switch position but then in that time you could have really convinced a hundred people who don't really know undecided live far away from the conflict and you can actually convince them so if any anti-zionist jew is listening to this podcast now please do not try to convince your israeli family or friends or colleagues or whatever They are a lost cause, but what you can do is stop the diaspora's influx of money and support and weapons, especially through the United States and Europe. And what you can do is open up the gates and open up your doors to an actual community who may, after this whole thing ends, and then you can start repairing the whole Jewish diaspora unit in a real way, you're right, Israel is a client
0: state of the United States. Israel would not be able to have the protection it has on the international stage without full support from the United States. But at the same time, it's important to recognize that the Jewish diaspora in the United States does not actually have the influence we might want to have over American policy towards Israel. Because you look at, I believe it's 1986, there's a clip of Joe Biden saying, were there not an Israel, we would have to an in Israel, To protect our interests in the region. 100%. And I think it's really important to recognize that because there are anti-Semites that will oppose Israel and will make the argument that the U.S. only supports Israel because it's controlled by Jews. And I think it's really important to say that that's that's a lie, that's anti-Semitism. And at the same time, APAC these groups do play a strong role in building support within the American government for Israeli military goals. But at the same time, the biggest Zionist organization in the United States is Christians United for Israel. And that organization, the leader, I believe his name is John Hagee, is anti-Semitic. John Hagee? The history of being anti-Semitic. The pastor? John Hagee, yeah. Hitler was
3: good. <laughs> that guy.
0: Yeah, exactly. and And it's horrifying. And it's really important for us to be able to have a Jewish diaspora that can speak for itself, not based in any one place, but for the Jewish future that is bound up with the collective liberation of all people. And of course, that cannot be accomplished without standing side by side with Palestinian liberation as central to it. Because if... Jewish liberation is bound up with a Jewish supremacist project, then we will never be able to be standing alongside humanity at the end of the day. And
3: if we can end on this, I don't know if this is a Martin Luther King quote, or maybe it's Malcolm X, I don't remember. He was talking about the Southerners, right? This is during segregation. And he was saying that we're going to free them from their hatred. Mm -hmm. And I think this is the same. If you are an anti-Zionist and you live abroad, do not try to convince the Israeli Jews who are living inside of Israel because it's going to be very difficult. Use our resources in more efficient ways in your own country or try to boost Palestinian voices, BDS, Dolshtik, and by freeing, Palestinians and by doing Palestinian liberation I think it's going to bring Jewish liberation to a lot of these Zionists who have to live in hatred, who live in a country that has high poverty rates, who are paying a lot of taxes but get no services because a lot of their taxes goes to settlements to war and just killing of people. And at the end of the day for what? So they can get killed in attacks or they can be sacrificed as pawns while killing children in Gaza? I don't think that is really good for any Jews either. Being left in the spear and and hatred and being scared of being attacked from every corner all the time you don't feel that way you don't need to feel that way palestinian liberation is jewish liberation we're going to liberate them from their hatred from their fear and we can just live like normal fucking people and worry about the basic things of life and i'm hoping yeah we're going to see that soon but trust me it is going to be very bloody and it's going to be very violent oh. and we're going to see a lot more destruction and i'm hoping the people who are listening to this all across the world focus their energies in their own communities and hopefully we can do a good bds movement that is going to end the israeli apartheid just like we end the south african
0: one. thank you habib i think you just made an excellent argument for why one of the central principles of diasporism is doikite which is the yiddish for hereness the idea that we need to center our political and cultural identities here in the places we live and at the same time we cannot truly have a diasporism that's fully centered here without palestinian liberation without a Jewish diaspora that is not actively complicit in the oppression of another people thank you so much for joining us this has been such a pleasure I hope you stay safe and that everything will I hope the world will get better as soon as it can and that it will happen as bloodlessly as possible inshallah, thank you so much Habib border
2: walls won't protect me we won't rest till we're all free you are not my enemy in our pain and in our grief border walls won't protect me we will
1: cross the
2: sea with all of us or not